And open your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22, verse 6. We're in a series, Strength for Today, Hope for Tomorrow. And um, uh, this is our last text. We will come back and look at a few verses next week as well in our series. Uh, tonight, uh, we're looking into Genesis, we're looking at the life of, day, uh, of Joseph, when dreams come true tonight, remembering your dreams. And uh, refreshment night is, is uh, uh, ice cream Sundays, so good thing. We're going for three stormy Sunday nights in a row, so um, uh, anyway, all right. But this morning, Revelation chapter 22, verse 6, and this is the Word of God. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I'm coming soon. Bring my recompense with me to repay each one for what he's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Now, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit of the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who's thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. When everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Then join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so glad that your word stands forever, that it is certain that it's true. And Father, we need these words of hope today. Father, we, we need to hear them, uh, Lord. And so we, we pray that your spirit, Lord, would so work that we grasp what you're saying here, plot the way we think, Father, the way we live, the way we hope. Father, we would pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So where's the safest place in the universe? You know, some suggest the North American Aerospace Defense Command, called NORAD for short. It's under the Cheyenne Mountain near Colorado Springs, Colorado. 
the main entrance is through a, a one-third of a mile tunnel. There are two 25-ton doors uh, to get into it, blast doors made out of steel. And you enter a complex that's been carved out of the rock for four and a half acres of tunnels and rooms down there. And then you're surrounded by some 2,000 feet of granite rock. It was built at the height of the Cold War back in 1961. Uh, could withstand, they say, any bomb blast, chemical or biological weapon. Uh, it'll be self-sustaining. By the way, if you get in there, the bomb comes for two years. You'll make it two years there. All right. Uh, of course, uh, most of us got a hard time. It's 1,400 miles away. Uh, our Will Owens is out there this summer on intern. Maybe he'd get there, uh, perhaps. Uh, now, if you're looking for a safe country, then they tell us the safest place you ought to go to is Iceland. And uh, Emma Jobson, our youth intern, has been there this week, so I guess she's been okay. Um, the safest big city, uh, you'll be glad to know, is Tokyo. And I don't know how far Olivia Cunningham is from Tokyo, but she's closer than we are. Um, and she might be able to get there. But neither Tokyo nor Iceland are closer than Colorado Springs. I'll just warn you of that. So what's an, a safe place for us? Well, my answer comes courtesy of the great uh, Puritan theologian, John Owen. His answer is this, that Jesus is the safest place in the universe. Um, and that's what makes the new Jerusalem that we're talking about such a safe place. Jesus is there. Uh, so to see uh, why uh, in, in a packed concluding section filled with promise and exhortation and command, um, why it gives us strength and hope for tomorrow, let's, let's go and look at the text. It's the safest place, first of all, because we can know and trust God's word. And he said to me, uh, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits, the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Now, as you read here, one of the things that jumps up fairly quickly uh, is that several of the words, the terms, the phrases that John uses or writes about here in Revelation 22 come right out of, 20, of chapter 1, verse 1. It's sort of, as some say, bookends the, the book of Revelation for us. It brings the whole message together. Uh, so John writes here, it, it frames his message with assurance. And, and we can know that what John's written can be counted on because the angel affirms for us that the very source of these words is God himself, who is the source of all truth. And he speaks to his prophets. And so we can trust what he says. You know, we live in a world where much of, of, of what we hear uh, is, is termed fake news um, or simply lies masquerading as the truth, uh, such that we have to, to borrow a term from Francis Schaeffer to even talk about truth, and we call it true truth. Uh, for people in a world where the, where the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. Uh, and he assures us with that, with his truth, with his words from Revelation. It's also the safest place because we know what time it is. The angel speaks of uh, what must soon take place in, as verse 6 ends. And then Jesus speaks up in verse 7. And behold, I am coming soon. So what time is it? Now, we know the answer, unlike Chicago. And if those of you don't get the reference, don't know. Okay, don't worry about it. Uh, but we know what time it is. It's time for Jesus to come back. All right? 
Uh, and again, the wording, what soon takes place from verse 6 that we see here, goes right down to chap- is from chapter 1, verse 1. The time is near. We see those words again down in verse 10. And so three times in this chapter, Jesus says, I am coming soon. Uh, now, some say, well, wait a minute, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus said that. That doesn't sound very soon to me. Um, but Jesus' point would be this. After Pentecost, the next big event on the schedule of the coming of God's kingdom is the return of King Jesus himself. He's coming back. And so Peter reminds us, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Um, Jesus' return is always about his timetable, and it's never about ours, as much as we think we'd like it to be. Um, The point for us is that in anticipating that day, again, in Peter's words, our concern should be what sort of people ought we to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. And that fits right in with Revelation because verse 7 continues. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. We're in the safest place in the universe when we realize that grace-fueled obedience and holiness matter to God. And therefore, they should matter to us. Again, the keep the word. We saw that back in chapter 1, verse 3. And what I remember here is the key is, is that holiness and godliness, that, that's a daily thing. We have the challenge to live out the gospel in a world that's very hostile towards that gospel and towards us. And so we've got to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit to empower us to do what God's word says. We must keep walking with Christ in love. Because, again, that's the safest place to be. And our walking with Christ leads to worship. We should be those who have an obsession with Jesus. Verse 8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you. And your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. So after confirming he's an eyewitness, John makes a mistake. And by the way, if you're following, this is the second time he's, he's done this uh, in, in, in Revelation. Um, he bows down and worships the angel. Um, uh, obviously, um, What he's seeing and hearing is so powerful that he he responds in the wrong way. Now, the angel quickly corrects him. Uh, The angel reminds him, he says, one, he says, I'm I'm a fellow servant of yours. And I'm a fellow servant along with all the prophets, their fellow servants. But also all those who keep the words of this book. Friends, that's us. We are his fellow servants. Think of that. We're fellow servants with angels. So the angel gives us the charge. He says, worship God. And we've seen that over and over again in this book. The wonder and the splendor 
and the glory and the majesty and the mystery of God. And so we keep our focus on God despite the times in which we live and in spite of the circumstances we find ourselves in. We must worship him. The reason believers who face extreme persecution risk gathering together to worship with others is that we're drawn to to want to worship Jesus. It's what we're made for. And so worship in eternity, worship right now, that's to be a driving passion in our hearts and minds. And know what John writes. Uh, Do not seal up, he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophets of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil and the filthy still be filthy. And the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. You might recall that when God showed Daniel the future, he told Daniel to, to, to bind up the book, seal up the book, because the time for it to be fulfilled was not yet. That was yet to be a coming day. Um, and so uh, here, though, the opposite. John specifically told, don't seal it up because the time is now. And God defines, divides humanity here into two groups. Those who live a life of rebellion uh, and degradation and those who live a life of holiness. You see, he, he outlines for us that sinners really regress. Sinners move from uh, disobedience to God to just neglecting spiritual things to apostasy or turning from the truth, and finally to their hearts being hardened against God. Our nation's followed that path for the last 60 years or so. As believers, on their hand, we should move from faith to obedience to joy to bliss. What we believe shows up in how we live. And in the end, we get our reward from Jesus because we are his, because of what he did for us on the cross. It's not about, it's about, about what he did for us at the cross. And so all those who reject Jesus, sadly, tragically get their own reward as well. And then Jesus makes this amazing statement to John. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And again, he's going back to chapter 1 where God says he's the Alpha and the Omega. Going back to Isaiah, where we see God making these same statements. Check out Isaiah 41 4, 44 6, 48 12. But what Jesus does here is just appropriates those statements from the mouth of God the Father for himself. He's made the case all throughout the book, but again, affirming his deity. Uh, he is God. David Strain makes the point that at first glance, uh, these three statements that that Jesus makes regarding himself seem to say the same thing. Uh, But there's a little bit more there. The word here used for beginning uh, means more than just Jesus is the first in the sequence. Uh, It's it's a word that has the idea he's the source from which everything else derives his existence and takes his fundamental design in relationship to him as as God the Son. And, And he is the end. That word there means not just the conclusion, uh, the end point, but the destiny. To paraphrase Daryl Johnson, uh, the destiny of an acorn 
is oak tree, is oak tree. Destiny of creation is Jesus Christ. He's our destiny. Creation, history. Our lives are moving towards him all the time. As Paul writes to the Romans, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. He's the destiny of everything. Friends, it's all about Jesus, and it's all for Jesus. So it's essential that we then know the difference. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They may have the right to the tree of life. They may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers, the sexual immoral, and the murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So we have the, the, the promise of being blessed here and now when we daily acknowledge our sin and we repent of it. The picture really is of ongoing washing uh, of our sinful clothes earlier in, in the Revelation, in the blood of the Lamb. Daily we have clean clothes to wear. Then we do this, the gates are open, we can, we can enter the city. Now we're going to come back and talk about this a little bit more next week when we come to the Lord's table. Um, but today notice that the verb tense is, is uh, continuous. Uh, washing is something we do, do today and we'll be doing tomorrow. It's an ongoing process. It means as we look at our sin, we, we continually repent of it, continually turn from our sin day after day and, and embrace the forgiveness offered to us through Jesus Christ. You see, we, the gospel is for us as believers to show us our sin. Um, the gospel is for us to show us the forgiveness found in Christ. And as we realize what a privilege is for us, we see a distinction here. All these others are left outside the city. Uh, they've chosen a different path to walk through this world, a path of rebellion against God, and they will never, ever enter the city. And now Jesus adds his attestation to what John has seen and heard and written for us. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So here we find he's been testifying about this. And he makes three claims for credentials here. Three statements that point to his authority. One, he's the root of David. He's the one David comes from. He's the source of life itself. But remarkably, he's also the descendant of David. He comes from, the, from David. He, he, he's his, his descendant. He's the offspring, the true son of David. And again, those are clear messianic titles that come to us from Isaiah, claiming to be Messiah. And then particularly important for us today is this last one. In the midst of the, the darkness that surrounds him, spiritual darkness, in the midst of the darkness that surrounds us right now, he is the bright morning star. Uh, he reminds us when it's dark that there's a new day coming. When we think we can go no further in the darkness, it's his light that shines. Uh, and that light is Jesus. He's the star that Balaam saw in Numbers 24. He's the star Peter describes in his second letter. Please note that the last title that Jesus ever takes for himself in the Bible is not king, it's not Lord, it's not Christ. 
the last title he claims is Morning Star, who shines in today's darkness to remind us, friends, he's the one we're waiting for. And so, friends, we must accept and extend the great invitation. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who's thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. Now, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, then we have accepted this invitation. But dear friend, if you're not yet a believer, I hope we've seen in Revelation what's at stake. And now the Holy Spirit and the bride, we, the church, give the invitation, the greatest invitation of all of history. Turn from your sin. Turn from your efforts to save yourself, to earn heaven. And turn to Jesus. Come to him and drink. See, all of us are thirsty. All of us are. And if we're not trusting Jesus, we're trying to satisfy our thirst somewhere else. In something else or someone else. And it'll never work. Our thirst will never be satisfied outside of Jesus. Or the world thinks they can satisfy their thirst. They think the secret lies in sexual immorality or in their own truth that they've come up with or some idol that they've created in their mind. But friends, we're born with a thirst nothing in this world can quench. You know, I, I do, I love coffee. I love tea. I love Dr. Pepper, all right? Uh, I'm here to tell you, though, I, I worked for Pepsi as an accountant years ago, uh, but I'm here to tell you that the, that the hottest cup of the darkest, richest coffee you can find or the ice-coldest Dr. Pepper you can find or the sweetest iced tea with a slice of lemon in it that you can find, all right, uh, will not quench the thirst for eternal life, for real meaning in life. Even as, as Christians sometimes deceive ourselves, we think some sin will satisfy us. But remember, only Jesus can. And the gift of eternal life that he gives us is absolutely free. Then we have some final thoughts from John. When everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the prophecy of this book of this prophecy, God will take his, away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Uh, friends, it's a somber warning. It's sort of like a, a copyright on a book. It's that mattress, tag on your mattress that says, don't remove under penalty of law. Okay, all right, can't do it. All right, uh, we dare not add to this. We dare not add any way that works are required to be saved to the free gift of salvation. We don't try to distort any of the truths taught here. The battle to every human sexuality is very much a matter of taking God's word seriously and not adding to it, not distorting it in, in some effort to make people feel better about their sin. Friends, we've got to proclaim the whole counsel of God. Uh, we've got to speak the truth, and we've got to speak it in love. All of it, from God the Creator in chapter 1, 
until this last, we have verse 20. It's all from him. He who testifies these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. So that's the, the third affirmation here. I'm coming soon. You know, one pastor pointed out that when we read, some, some of us read these words, maybe we have some guilt because deep down there's, there's more of life we want to live. All right? If you're young, you're thinking of some toys or some gadget or something. Um, maybe you're thinking about, you, you know, you'd really love to learn to drive or go to college or get a job or, or maybe get married. Maybe you're, you're thinking, I want to I go on a trip someplace you really want to go to, or maybe you're even anticipating retirement. Who knows? Uh, you know? Uh, and so maybe we're thinking, Jesus, just hold off for a few, you know, a little bit longer, a few more years. Don't end it now, perhaps, or, or don't take me home now. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with anticipating earthly blessings and joys that, that, uh, that are really all good gifts from God to us. Marriage is wonderful. Work's rewarding. College is, is, is great. And, and uh, fun toys to play with, that's a great thing. But let me just tell you, friends, none of those blessings comes close to comparing to the joy that awaits us in the new Jerusalem. And so we pray what the choir sang, come Lord Jesus, come Lord, carry out your plan in history, finish it and come, come now. And then John gives us a benediction that we all need, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all, amen. 36 years ago, I was examined by North Georgia Presbytery uh, when this church extended me a call to become pastor here. Um, there was a bit of a struggle in those days in the church about the role the law played in our lives, and, and I was heavily questioned about that, and I had to straighten a few people out that day, um, and um, very cautiously. Anyway, so, so we're leaving, and, and an older man took me aside. I guess he felt, felt the need to after he heard my answers, and he said, young man, uh, he said, don't forget what the Bible is about, and I just sort of stared at him, and he said, law. Law, law. And I was a lot younger, so I bit my tongue. And, um, but let me tell you, you know what? He couldn't have been more wrong. Couldn't have been more wrong. Because, brothers and sisters, it's all about grace. Amazing grace that saves us. Wonderful grace that sustains us. Marvelous grace that leads us home. Uh, and, and as we've been singing we're almost home. The question is, are we prepared? Are you prepared if Jesus comes today? So what about us? John Wesley was asked what he would do if he knew tomorrow uh, the end would come. And uh, it was all over with. And so he opened up what amounted to his daytimer and, and said, in effect, well, well, this is what I would do. I would go to bed and I would go to sleep and I'd wake up in the morning and I'd go on with my work. I would want to be found by him doing what he had appointed. In other words, live out faithfully each day the things that we do. Yes, expecting Jesus might come again, but if he does come, finding us doing his will. Find us being faithful followers. For by his hand he leads us. And as he leads us, let's never lose sight of either the love or the grace or sacrifice for us. Or the majesty and the glory of Christ 
As we keep those in view, as God reveals His glory to us, this book exhorts us to reflect that glory in the way we obey and worship. Friends, Jesus is coming soon. And when He does, the safest place to be is the safest place to be right now. And that's in Jesus. Trusting Him. Identifying with Him. Walking with Him. Loving Him. Worshiping Him. I mean, just say, if today Jesus is not your hope, your Savior and Lord, you need to come when we sing or let me talk to you afterwards because very simply, your eternity is at stake. Alexander Ogorodnikov uh, was born into a communist family in the Soviet Union in 1950. He became a Christian when he was in his 20s. Uh, he was arrested many times. After one of his arrests, he was charged with being mentally ill because of his faith. Um, and, uh, but one night, one of his guards came into his cell, uh, desperate to confess, uh, some things past. So he said, when I was a young guard in a different prison, they gathered 20 or 30 priests who had been behind bars and they, they took them outside. Uh, and they put them in two rows, one behind the other. And I was one of the guards who stood around the, the perimeter of, of the prisoners. One of the KGB guys walked up to the first priest and he asked him very calmly and quietly, is there a God? And the priest said, yes. And he shot him in the forehead in such a way that his brains covered the priest standing behind him. Then he calmly loaded his pistol and he went to the next priest he said, does God exist? Yes, he exists. And the KGB guy shot this priest in the same way. So it went till they were all gone. We did not blindfold them. They saw everything that was about to happen to them. And a voice cracking with emotion, the guard said, not one of those guards, the priest rather, denied Christ. Not one. You know, friends, we don't know what the future holds as we wait for King Jesus. But that's a powerful picture, picture of standing firm in the face of death. And there are a lot of martyrs who have gone before us that have stood firm, stood faithful. Our prayer is that we'll stand faithful when the day comes. That our glorious God will sustain us no matter what tomorrow holds given a strength and hope, knowing that we are safe in Jesus. To God be the glory. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for the assurance of your word that gives us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. That in a world that's very much against you. Father, you've called us to be faithful. You've called us to walk by your word, to walk by faith. So Lord, find us as a faithful people, we pray, safe in Jesus, we would pray. And Father, our, our prayer is that when the day comes, if that day comes, that you'll give us the boldness, Lord, to stand for you. Father, again, if there's anybody here that doesn't yet know Jesus, uh, 
Lord, today, Father, show them what's at stake. and Show them your incredible love at the cross, Lord, and draw them to yourself, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we sing, if you take out your, your uh, notes for a moment. On the back, I put a poem. I just want to read to you very quickly by Annie uh, Johnson Flint. It's not for a sign we're watching for wonders above and below, the pouring of vials of judgment, the sounding of trumpets of woe. It's not for a day we're looking, not even the time yet to be, when the earth shall be filled with God's glory as the waters cover the sea. It's not for a king we are longing to make the world's kingdom his own. It's not for a judge who shall summon the nations of earth to his throne. Not for these, though we know they are coming. For they are but adjuncts of him, for whom all glory is clouded, beside whom all splendor grows dim. We wait for the Lord, our beloved, our comforter, master and friend, the substance of all we hope for. Beginning of faith and its end, we watch for our Savior and Bridegroom who loved us and made us His own. For Him we are looking and longing for Jesus and Jesus alone. Friends, what a day that will be.